the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, our weekly roundtable that, uh, where we have commentary and analysis on uh, oh, recent headlines from the worlds of uh, politics and current events, featuring our panel of political pundits. Uh, our roundtable regulars on the left include Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome to you as well. Good morning, Tom. And uh, joining us this week, and it's always a treat when we have former government official from two, count them, two presidential administrations, Mark Everson joining us. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Good morning gentlemen. Mark. Hi, Mark. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Okay. It's always Good. a pleasure to hear from you. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you guys, you just don't have much to do up there in Michigan. Not, not, <laughs> not so much, although although it's been pretty exciting lately. It's funny you say that, uh, Mark. We had um, Paul always sends me an email the day before we do the, the roundtable and has a few bullet points he thinks we might touch on. And he always ends the email by saying, and whatever else happens in the next 24 hours, and the last 24 hours has <laughs> actually been kind of robust here in Michigan and yeah, around. Boy, was that, yeah, that was true. Yeah, within the last 24 hours, that was very true. Good grief. <laughs> yeah. I would say in the country as well. I mean, it's a testimony yesterday. Yeah. Obviously, uh, watershed point, too. But anyway, well, go ahead. Yeah, we'll be we'll be touching on that for sure. Um. But we always start out with a few quotes, and this uh, first one is, is the one where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? 
and it goes like this. Hell, I never vote for anybody. I always, what? How would you finish this quote? Hmm. I always run myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Henry. That's very good. <laughs> uh. Well, the original quote was, hell, I never vote for anybody. I always vote against. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. And that was from, um, um, who, who do you think that said that? I'm going to guess Will Rogers? Yeah, I, really. That, was, you said that would be my guess. Well, it, it actually was from the world of, uh, of comedy or humor. It was W.C. Fields. Oh, oh okay. Same time okay. period. Yeah, he's, right. he's the one who said, uh, nice to meet you, Mayor. I voted for you in the last election five times. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a, a quote that got my attention. Today's decision sets a dangerous precedent in reversing 50 years of settled law, creating extraordinary upheaval in the American legal system, and putting at risk other individual rights that generations of Americans fought to secure and preserve. Gretchen Whitmer. I'm going to guess the dissent. No, and and that would be a good guess. It it uh, came from Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Friday's, oh, Friday's okay. U.S. Supreme Court ruling that overturns Roe v. Wade yes. is quote a dangerous precedent that creates extraordinary upheaval in the American legal system. She said. My question well, is, and and this is just a. a Oh, one of my pet peeves about the way news gets reported and the language that gets used. Was Roe v. Wade overturned? Was it overturned? Uh, well, it, yeah, I, think, well, I think by five to four. Nathan, it was. Because well, Rob Roberts did not vote to overturn it, but the other five did. But nobody ever voted on Roe v. Wade. And what happened oh. was they didn't go back and oh. overturn that decision. Yes. They made a new decision a that makes yes. that one moot. And and a there's point. and there's a difference. Yeah, saying, and it yeah. bothers me when I yeah. see headlines, you know, roll yeah. overturned and you know, so on. Yeah. Because the the peeve that I have is we already don't know enough about the way our government works. And then we see it reinforced on television and in print. And, and that's just frustrating to me because, you know, we try here so hard to explain things the way they really work. But that's an interpretation of the media. It is not the facts from someone making a statement to certified that this is well unfortunately henry yeah, i yeah. just I, I i'm just of the impression that everybody is getting their news from bumper stickers and facebook <laughs> memes even and the tweets. media yeah that's yeah yes I, okay tom look um i am going to agree with you on the larger point and and that's uh, the that end of my rant me. mark <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. But I don't agree with you using this decision as a vehicle for that criticism. I mean, this was an overturning of Roe v. Wade, even if it technically wasn't, I'm not sure, um, as much as any decision in my lifetime was uh, an overturning of some other decision, I, I think. I mean, so 
I was thinking no, I, some I think of you. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm just. It's just. It's just. It's technically whether whether you're correct or not is irrelevant because in substance it was overturned. Oh, I agree. Well, didn't, didn't the majority opinion basically say that they they felt Roe Wade was was you know wrongly decided and they were I'm not sure they used the word overturned but I mean they were taking a shot at Roe Wade even in the majority opinion I believe. Uh, but those those are semantics, guys. But what they are really uh, what we're really talking about is uh, the mechanics of how it how it appears. Well, and, and Mark's right. I, I was kind of uh, exploiting this issue to make a point that, that I'm always a little concerned about, that we don't, um, we don't get it right when we talk about it, whether it's pundits like us sitting around the, the round table talking about uh, current events or it's um, the anchors on the evening news. Um, I, I, I just I, I think we owe it to people to get these things right and, and teach them how things work. Now, the bigger question on this particular issue is, is one that a lot of people are already talking about. Does it automatically open the door to reverse other things, as uh, the uh, Attorney General here in Michigan suggested? And I think, I think even Justice Thomas has made remarks yeah. along those yeah, lines. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, are we going to see reversals of same-sex marriage and and other progressive uh, gains over the last couple of decades? But but you know, I, I wouldn't think say, the say automatically, but it's it's a possibility. But I wouldn't say automatically. I mean, clearly the other Thomas was kind of all by himself there, but the others, I don't know. But it wouldn't be an automatic reversal, but uh, you never know. You never know. And I really think that uh, the point that, uh, Tom, you really want to drive here with your question was toward a consensus. We can have two different ideas out there and stabilize the country and its people or government. We have to drive toward a consensus so that all people will agree that we can live with this. And I thought that that was really good. That was a good point. Question: Did we overturn it or not? Or whatever, whatever questions or criticisms are derived from that action. Well, it is, it is interesting to me um, how much noise there's been about. Well, this is the beginning of a whole series of things being pulled back. I don't necessarily think that's the case at all. I mean, um, I don't either. You know, we'll see, of course, but but um, and and I do think it's healthy. Leave aside this issue, the particulars of this issue. I don't think you can say that that forever each new right established through the courts or whatever, uh, nothing or the or the or the frank, frankly the legislators for that matter, nothing can ever be reclaimed. I mean. Society's overreach, and um, whether you agree that that's the case here or not, it's not necessarily the end of all um, American culture and history that that there's a pull, a retrenchment, if you will, on an issue that's this sensitive. So I do think there's a difference here, and and um, I'm I'm a little surprised that Thomas went out of his way to 
put the flagpole or the, the well, you know, <laughs> stake in the ground. He did. You know, Mark, uh, for the last <laughs> for the last several years on this uh, on this weekly roundtable, we've talked about how you know Clarence Thomas never weighs in or says anything yeah. about anything, and then all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, he yeah. found his voice, and he hasn't shut up since. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, he's picking up the times that he was not. Yeah, it's been, all, it's been almost 30 yeah. years for him, almost. Yeah. I think he spent the first 30 years of his marriage telling Ginny to be quiet. And then <laughs> he, finally, he finally said, well, if you're going to speak up, I am too. Hey, <laughs> there, 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 there you go. <laughs> that, could be, that could explain yeah. a lot of things. Yeah, well, that sounds more rational than anything else I've heard. I, I want to squeeze one more quick quote in. Uh, it, it wasn't a new quote, but one that I think is uh, interesting and timely before we go to this uh, first break. The quote is, when we leave, we hope we leave a good trail. Mm. Uh, Gee. That wasn't Socrates, was it? No, it doesn't go quite back that far, but... No. Uh, but not to, so I don't leave you uh, and the listeners hanging. That was Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Jefferson, who passed oh, away yes. this last week at age 100. He was oh, one yeah. of, if not the last, of the famed black pilots from World War II known as the Tuskegee Airmen. In fact, his squadron was the one that, uh, that was referred to as the Red Tails. Yeah, Henry and I talked about that this past week as well. Yeah. <laughs> Different context. And his funeral is uh, a week from uh, Friday on the 8th and 9th of uh, July. Well, I'm. he was on the show two or three times. He was first introduced to me by Henry. And um, I, I had him on the show a few times, including for uh, Martin Luther King's birthday in 2018. And in that interview, he talks a lot about how he started flying, how he got in the Tuskegee Airmen, his uh, having been captured, you know, shot down and captured during World War II. And, and it's a fascinating interview, and I'm going to play it again for the 4th of July. So, oh, great. So during, appropriate. Yeah, during the 9 o'clock oh. hour on the uh, 4th of July show, here, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Jefferson's life story, and it was a long life. <laughs> like I said, last November, yeah. he, he turned 100, and then uh, <coughs> he passed away uh, June 22nd. So, um, yeah, be sure and tune in for that uh, for that interview on the 4th. Oh, while you're I was going to say, was, wasn't Henry, weren't you instrumental in getting the highway yeah. named after the Tuskegee? Yes, he was the inspiration for that much and Frank Moth that the Veterans Association decided to ask Pam Ferris to draft a bill authorizing the state to name I seventy five through Michigan, the three hundred and eighty seven miles, as the Tuskegee Airman's Memorial Highway. Some thought it should be named the Jefferson Highway, but he wanted to name it the Tuskegee Airman. Although he hated the name of Tuskegee Airman. He only <laughs> wanted to be called the black pilot of the United States Air Force. <laughs> That's how it's <laughs> That's yeah. interesting. I didn't know that. Well, they became better known as the Red Tails. Hey, we've got to take a break yeah. here, but we'll uh, we'll be back with more armchair politics. Everybody's doing 
it on brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Say, objection. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in edible arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for edible arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue with uh, Armchair Politics uh, for this week on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. And uh, welcome back, everybody. I just um, I, I want to go back to the last segment and finish up our conversation about uh, Alexander Jefferson, uh, the last of the Tuskegee Airmen. Henry, do you know offhand if he was the last survivor? I know it was down to no, less than. Uh, I know it was down to it was less, less than, than seven or eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I uh, I know we had two in Michigan, and they're both gone now. Uh, I I called uh, the Detroit chapter. Uh, and it requested that information. I should have had it all back, ready back, but they haven't returned the call yet. Well, I'm I'm curious to find out. Again, he uh, he passed away at a hundred, and um, was on the Six show, months. and he'll be on the show again, uh, July fourth. You'll get to hear him tell his story in his <laughs> own words, which which will be nice. Now, so what I was going to say? Go ahead. Say on this. They renamed a whole, did you say 387 miles of the highway? That's really yes. remarkable. Yes. I, yes. I've never heard of a, of a uh, yeah, I've heard of sections of roads, uh, yes. you know. Like in but not something that, that's incredible. That's yeah, yes. I have already put in a request for the governor to, uh, uh, if she would consider lowering the flag for him, because he represents pulling the country together. He was a man without acrimony. A lot of people after the war were bitter because of the treatment that they got from the higher command in days when we were very segregated. But the Jefferson was not. He found life wherever he looked for it. <laughs> well, but but he was very very aware of the differences in the way he was yes. treated in uh, yes. in Europe and Germany, and even as a as a prisoner of war. And and after going through all that, then coming back to the U.S. and crashing straight into, you know, the kind of uh, racism that was being experienced uh, by blacks in this country right after World War II. And, you know, he had a saying, and they had this, and I tried to get this published, but they had it in right protected script, so I can transfer it to you. But uh, he said, his saying was always, I'm Alexander Jefferson. Uh, if you want to know more, Google me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a way to do it. Yeah, he says Google me. There's nobody that doesn't know about Alexander Jefferson. Well, and yeah, exactly. And a lot, a lot comes up if you do Google him. Um, and you know, of course, he he lived for a hundred years. He was a school teacher and a pilot, obviously, and um, uh, served in World War II as a prisoner of war. He he had some tremendous stories to tell. And you know, when he was at Kyle, he, he the kids really loved him because he talked about the war. He talked about the day that he was shot down. He said a fusil, uh, a projector came up through the fuselage of his ship. And it landed right between his knees, but didn't go off. 
And he said, uh-oh, I'd better get the hell out of here. <laughs> and the kids, Smart move. The kids just love me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, those were great things that they oh. remember about Alexander Jefferson. Well, it was judgments like that that are behind the, the reason for him living to age 100. <laughs> I think that's true. Right. Um, well, mo moving on, and, and we're going to start getting into some of that stuff that that Paul was referring to when he said, and whatever happens in the next 24 hours. Uh, Michigan Solicitor General Fadwa Hamoud says a state Supreme Court decision won't stop her efforts to prosecute former Governor Rick Snyder and others for alleged crimes related to the Flint water crisis. The state's highest court ruled on Tuesday, June 28th, yesterday in fact, that a one-man grand jury used to indict Snyder and eight other current and former City of Flint and State of Michigan employees did not have the authority to initiate the criminal charges. I am completely confused by this. What is the difference between a judge serving as a one-person grand jury and filing the charges in a court where a single judge decides the validity of a case to go forward. Good question. Good question. And I heard that story. I wondered who made the decision to use the one-man grand jury because that, from what I saw, that that invalidated not only some of the water cases but a whole range of other criminal cases in mm -hmm. the Genesee County area. And when do you uh, use a grand jury for an indictment? That's true. I mean, I know the feds do it a lot, but on the state level, I thought it was very But rare. usually I, it grows out of some grand jury uh, investigation with a lot of testimony. And then, and then at the end, the result is they recommend charges, but they don't actually... Um, true. When they, when they release those charges, that isn't an indictment. Yeah. No, I, that, as I'm I say, completely. I, I really I'm sorry, guys. I'm decision. just completely confused by this, uh, by the ruling and by the action that was taken that the ruling shot down. Well, guys, you know that I have all I have been against uh, just charging the governor uh, uh, point blank for the events that happened in Flint, Michigan. There were a lot of other events that occurred before that, and uh, although. When you are charged with something like that, you have to get all of the information together. Uh, the complaint says, well, he didn't act fast enough. He didn't, but it takes time to investigate what happened, who, what, why, when, and where. And uh, I thought it was kind of unfair to the governor as well. Now, now the, the other question is, is this the end of the road, or could they simply refile the charges by going going a different route? Well, that's that's uh, what uh, what Michigan's solicitor general is promising is that yeah. she's going to, you know, refile charges in 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 a more appropriate place. Apparently, But as I say, I was surprised to learn that I think I think I said there I heard there were forty other cases, many of them murder cases. They were also done by the one man grand jury, and those are also, at the moment at least, invalidated. And they'll have to revisit those, I presume, in some way or another too. But hasn't been this been a practice uh, by longevity? 
uh, that's what they did. This is how they conducted uh, these kind of proceedings forever in this country by one man, Grand Dury, since we used that tactic for many, many years. And it takes a protocol to change it. Well, it sounds like it's going to be changing question, now. Was, was, it, <laughs> was it the local prosecutor who decided to go this route, or was it the state attorney general or somebody else who made that decision? Because it just seems to me that for those with the legal expertise, they should have checked it out to see whether or not that was the ideal way to go, rather than dragging this out through so much time. Well, this has created well, a lot of frustration for some of the uh, water activists in Flint, because first... Yeah there was a change in attorney generals and charges that had already been filed were dropped by the new attorney general and, yeah. and she you know um, I, I don't know does uh, the attorney general appoint the Michigan solicitor how are they decide or is that something the governor does in any event um, Fadwa I think Hamoud, it's a gubernatorial appointment I think but I'm not sure was appointed uh, Michigan Solicitor General, and and she started a new investigation and, you know, new charges. And now the, uh, you know, the, the new charges have been dropped, and it just seems like, uh, well, we, we if you saw the, the news overnight, the, um, the local news, uh, got reactions from the three candidates in the primary for mayor, um, our current mayor, our past mayor, and our wannabe mayor. <laughs> and um, and they all three weighed in that, you know, there's never any justice for Flint and so on. But, um, but yeah, this is, this is just a weird... Uh, it really is, yeah, astonishing in some ways. Well, guys, I think that they really wanted to move the process. We can't stay in this uh, committee room forever. We have to move the process so that we can get back to rebuilding Flint to make it. Uh, well, they could do that by you know they could do that by holding the trials. <laughs> no, they yeah, keep well, they keep yeah. putting the stuff. But on. by the time we ever get to a trial, it'll be we'll we'll, we'll have forgotten about so much of the details. I mean, well, some of the people able. just, and we know that we all want to see this move. Uh, we can't stay with it forever, and there's not enough money to go back and yeah. give everybody the just amount that they deserve or want for this. we got to move it so we can get back to rebuilding Flint. Well, let's, uh, let's move on here. The Genesee County Election Commission on Friday, June 24th, approved the August 2nd primary ballot despite not yet hearing back from each candidate listed on the ballot upon recommendation from the Michigan Bureau of Elections. Jonathan Brader, director of the Michigan Bureau of Elections, recommended on Friday that the commission approves the ballot despite not having complete ballot approval because it is more important to get them into the hands of voters. The election commission met on Thursday, June 23rd to delay the approval of the ballot after the Genesee County Clerk's Office spoke of multiple delays that have hindered the ballot approval process. Those include a two-week late start caused by the state, uh, staffing issues, and redistricting, um, according to uh, Deputy Clerk Leslie Raleigh. Um, 
you know, my, my original question was, why does it seem to be harder for officials to meet deadlines now? But I, I, I also want to add something peculiar. I, earlier in the show, I had two of the candidates that were knocked off the, the primary ballot uh, from the uh, Republican GOP. Yeah, I heard some of those. Yeah. The, the roster for um, Michigan governor. And they're both on the ballot if you check it at the Genesee County Clerk's election page. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, gee. <laughs> oh, oh, the Republicans, that's all right. What's wrong with that? I guess, <laughs> oh. Uh, no, you know, I, as you were saying that, I was wondering, have we ever had a recent election where there hasn't been some kind of a follow-up with deadlines? or? That's mis- what I'm getting the, at, Paul. You know, I, every you know, election has got something like this. Yeah, we had democracy, the, guys. <laughs> well, if if Barry Simon were here, he'd say that's idiocracy, guys. <laughs> um, well, to to give you an example, I'm I'm, I'm running as a precinct delegate on, on the current ballot, and I just got my uh, letter from the from the county clerk's office yesterday, telling me to inform them if my name was spelled correctly, but it said the deadline was the twenty fourth, which is what. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I looked. I, for, I, I, yeah, so the, 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 the letter came came after the deadline. Uh, did you run it? I, mean, I, I, I responded by email anyhow, but it was no, so no big deal. But the letters they sent out were sent after the required deadline. I went to the county yeah. clerk's website, um, as I often do, to pull up the list of candidates because I wanted to check something on the um, congressional race for Dan Kildee's seat. Mm-hmm. Because I have one of the I, I have one of the Republicans is going to be on the show next week, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find Kildee's seat on the ballot <laughs> because he's in another district. Well, he's not in the wrong and district. that's what I figured is that a majority yeah. of his district is you know, has been yeah. passed off to a different county. I track him. Um, I I was able to look Genesee. I was able to look, Dan, I, I was able to get the answer to my question by going to the state site. Okay. Or, or maybe I went to Ballotpedia. In any event, I noticed in the process that there were an awful lot of candidates for governor. <laughs> and I yeah. thought, no, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I thought this had been trimmed down. Because uh, it, it went from 10 to 5, and it's at 9. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Good grief. Are they all certified? They knocked off the line a month ago or so. Well, then if they're not certified, you can be sure that that's, they're not going to be on the ballot. That would raise all kind of ruckus. Mm. Well, I, w- I was thinking the election process was in pretty good shape, you know, and, and all of this stuff about the big lie and whether or not 2020 presidential election was legitimate and all that. I was like, no, it's all fine. It's all good. And then I started looking at some of the stuff that's going on locally. And now I'm not so sure. And, you know, Paul Paul loves to bring up the fact that that one year, Mark, we had um, a, a pig. On the ballot, <laughs> yeah. oh, the pig ran for mayor of Flint. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, but we've had our city clerk 
publish the the wrong deadline date and disqualified all of the candidates for mayor because they missed the state's deadline right right and um you know they're just there've been a bunch of these things um people not turning their petitions in by the right deadline remember what happened to um Mike Duggan the mayor of uh Detroit That's right he had to run a writing campaign because he was <laughs> Uh, you know why? He hadn't had residency long enough. And you know why? It, it, he, he, he moved into the district, but not with enough time to qualify. And it was because um, he turned his petitions in too soon or something. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. I recall that now. Mm. Yeah. He yeah. moved into the district. I, mean, I think if he had turned them in at the last minute, he would have been okay. But he turned them in, I don't know, a week or so or two weeks earlier or something. Yeah. Just but isn't that deadline. a better deal? You want to be prompt and be... You, you think so. You yeah. would think so. Yeah. yeah. Be prepared. Well, you know, this gets to the broader question. Uh, it was the earlier uh, the earlier segment, too. Uh, do the rules matter? If, you, if the if statute says the grand jury has to have six people or whatever it is, then, uh, then that's the rule. And, and people challenge rules all the time, but it's amazing to me how many situations come up that are for the first time, uh, that the rule's been there for a long time and it's been ignored, but then fi somebody finally says, hey, we got a rule here. And you're exactly right, Mark. Somebody all of a sudden for the first time says, wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, no, and... and uh, you know, these legislative bodies at the uh, county level, the city level, the state level, the federal level, they're constantly churning out laws. <laughs> yeah. Most of them are, have no effect, but, but you know, <laughs> sooner or later somebody discovers. And in my old world in tax, uh, that's, we would say, some staffer would be sitting on uh, Chuck Grassley or Chuck Schumer's, uh, uh, you know, staff, and they would insert some little clause in a 280-page bill, and you wouldn't know what it meant for 10 years because somebody would notice it, and uh, but not the intended party, but some some attorney in New York would say, you know, if you read this correctly, it doesn't just apply to pizza parlors in Flint. It really applies to auto fabricators all over the country. And, you know, they come up with some interpretation. The next thing you know, it's in it's people. Some people are taking on the tax return. Then the IRS audits it, and then somebody says, we don't agree with the IRS, and it goes into court. Sometimes these crazy little things take uh, 10 or 15 years to surface and get uh, get resolved. So we live in a pretty complex world where common sense is not not always the uh, main objective of an exercise. Oh, boy. This, yeah, uh... but it, it, does, it does seem like... Flint or Genesee County has got a reputation that we have for following up, particularly election dates and petitions and things like that. It's uh, almost every election there's some issue like this. But you would expect that to happen in a dynamic system like the American political system. You know, one of those things. There is only change that's imminent. One of the examples of what Mark's talking about with people just all of a sudden bringing it to someone's attention. Um, there are still, in uh, Michigan election law, um, residency requirements. Yes. 
for virtually every elected position. The people don't care about residency anymore. And so it very often is not an issue until somebody makes it an issue and says, you know, so-and-so's running for this and they really live in this ward, you know, mm-hmm. or their primary residence is in this ro- ward or they spend all their time at their <laughs> at their cottage in Traverse City. They really don't live here. <laughs> yeah. But residency does count. Because people who pay the taxes for that jurisdiction are the people who receive the services, right? And people are the son of. I understand the rationale, Henry, but you know, people in this day and age move from place to place so much more frequently that you know they're they're used to people not sitting still in a particular place and being part of a jurisdiction, if you will. Still, the politicians uh, strain this. Who was it? Was it Mark Meadows who had a trailer somewhere and then he didn't <laughs> ever really live there? <laughs> oh, no, that's right. This, this came up. I mean, you know, people, I'm I'm with you, Tom, but people take advantage of these standards. Yeah. And particularly now with the remote work, if, what are you going to do? You're going to have somebody who grew up in Michigan and hasn't lived there for... Uh, for thirty years, but he's using mom and dad's address when he's when he's been working in uh, Oregon or something. Uh, I I don't know. It's, it's, there's got to be some standard here. I'm, I I agree on that. But it's one but of those things me. that people ignore until somebody's opponent brings it up. Are you they fight over uh, dollars that come in from the federal government for that jurisdiction? You know, people don't want to share it with the adjacent jurisdiction. It belongs to the people who live in that particular jurisdiction. I don't know. Maybe maybe Mark can set me straight on this, but I I always chuckle a little bit when I see a big fight break out, like you know, in a in a municipality over whether we're going to fund something with local dollars, state dollars, or federal yeah. dollars, because <laughs> they're all coming from the same place. <laughs> yeah, but the, the adroit politicians, they go, they get their Fed stuff lined up, and then they go to the state, and the last thing they use is the local money. I mean, you know, wait, wait to save that for the rainy day. But, um, but anyway, people take advantage, I mean, what I used to say is uh, about taxes, and it applies to all this, taxpayers will find the line. And that's the truth on all of this. People find the line. Yes. A good statement. Taxpayers will find the line. Yeah. Well, let's see. We're just, just under a minute till the next break, so I hate to start into something, uh, something new here, but... Uh, if you're listening to us at WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki, 
on the left and Henry Hatter on the right, joined today by uh, Mark Everson from Mississippi, a former uh, government official in two presidential administrations. Anyway, stay tuned. We've got lots more of uh, Armchair Politics and the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage? Basketball or soccer? So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. 
But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney General and we got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nussel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. Um, at least one of Michigan's fake electors has been served with a subpoena and interviewed by federal agents, a sign of widening interest in states where some Republican organizers pushed slates of illegitimate electors for former President uh, Donald Trump in 2020. Michelle Lundgren, one of the individuals who signed documents attempting to elect Trump, said she was subpoenaed and met with federal agents from the FBI, uh, also the Department of Justice and Inspector General, for two hours Thursday. Lundgren plans to comply with the subpoena, she said. Though President Joe Biden won the state by more than 154,000 votes, individuals in Michigan and other states produced documents where states, where slates of people posing as electors attempted to send votes to Trump instead. The Washington Post was first to report on more individuals being subpoenaed by the Justice Department in relation to the invalid electors. Um, oh, uh, being subpoenaed by the Justice Department. Uh, let's see. Uh, the New York Times reported that Sean Flynn, a Trump campaign aide in Michigan, was served with a uh, subpoena by federal agents Wednesday. Flynn was an aide for the Trump campaign in Michigan in 2020. He did not respond to a message seeking comment. Uh... Lundgren was one of 16 people to sign that document in Michigan. The slate was eventually transmitted to Congress and the National Archives as if Trump had won, although the, st- the slate's uh, <coughs> electoral votes were uh, awarded to Biden. Could these so-called uh, fake electors be considered combatants of a sort in uh, an alleged attempted coup? Hmm. I don't know if combatants would fit necessarily. What struck me is some of the bizarre things they did. Wasn't it Michigan? They That's locked probably the, the wrong Capitol word. Overnight? What's, what's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. going to say, wasn't it Michigan where they locked themselves in the Capitol overnight in the hope of showing up in the morning? Uh, it was almost like a, a Three Stooges kind of scenario where they were trying to get in there <laughs> well, on, it was, on the it, counting day. The, the ploy was... Um, it didn't matter how many electors or how many votes you had. It was whoever got there first. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I, I know it was in, in some states, and I, I thought it, may, it might have been Michigan, they, they, a couple of them tried to get themselves locked into the uh, the state capitol overnight so it would be their first thing in the morning <laughs> to get to get counted somehow. It was this bizarre scenario. Uh Well, let's see. I don't know. Um, yeah, and I think you're right, Paul. I, combatants wasn't 
really the right word, maybe participants, but they didn't seem strong yeah. enough. Well, it's all this is the whole show is about this. It's about rules and following rules. <laughs> and, uh, we're just not doing that right now. We're we're running all kinds of lights, and it's uh, it's. I don't know what's going to sort of snap things back to where there's an adherence to the rules. I mean, it's it's funny. On the one hand, you have all these things going on, and at the same time, you have the Republican legislatures around the country trying to stiffen the voting laws to make sure there's integrity. So it's there's uh, different currents here that are, are intentional with each other. I think, and it's not it's not hopeful. Let's see. Um, well, let's talk about a couple more of these election things. A Republican member of Michigan's elections panel, who made national headlines in 2020 when he abstained from the vote to certify the results of that year's presidential election resigned from his elections post last week. Norm Schinkel told the Free Press that he sent his resignation letter to Governor Whitmer on June 21st. The governor appoints members to the Board of State Canvassers, selecting among a pool of nominees put forward by Michigan's two major political parties. Uh, Schinkel is currently running for an Ingham County-based seat in the Michigan House of Representatives. He, he uh, pointed to a uh, time-consuming campaign and language in the state constitution stating that no candidate for an office to be canvassed is eligible to serve as a member of the Board of State Canvassers for his decision to resign. Uh, Schinkel called the provision pretty plain and straightforward. The Attorney General's office had initially advised him that he could still serve as a member of the state's canvassing board before bringing the matter under review, he said. What qualifications and traits will Governor Whitmer look for in appointing a successor? I suppose somebody who can just just do the do the job straight without. She uh, pretty much has without, to pick from from Republicans suggested yeah. by uh, by the legislative uh, leadership. I'm guessing she's certainly going to avoid a uh, you know a, a Trump advocate who's still arguing that the 2020 election was stolen. So she'll pick some Republican who is willing to uh, admit that there was a it was a straight election. Well, here's, here's another one that's kind of interesting. A group of Michigan Democrats led by Lieutenant Governor uh, Garland Gilchrist made the case Thursday afternoon for the state to be selected as one of the first five to hold presidential nominating contests in 2024. Uh, what do we want from an early primary state? We want the state to be truly representative of America, Gilchrist told members of the Democratic National Committee's Rules and Bylaws Committee, noting the state's racial, economic, and geographic diversity. Uh, its status as a battleground state shouldn't be overlooked either, he said. Early states need to be a down payment on the general election, and <laughs> Michigan is the right state for that because it is crucial to winning the White House. Michigan has helped determine the last four presidential winners and was especially important in the last two. Should Michigan be one of the first five? 
it'd be a big plus when we get and again where we are more typical than Iowa or New Hampshire and so forth. The only advantage of those smaller states, though, is that if you're a new candidate with fairly limited funds, you can probably run a decent campaign or a starting campaign in New Hampshire, where you'd have a hard time doing it in Michigan or a large state like you know, Illinois or California or Texas or somewhere else. But, but again, I, we are much more typical, I think, than than those other two states that are often the first states to go. Yeah, but guys, that changes over time. You know, uh, the the advantage that many states like Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and those states, their their electorate is closer to being half Democrat and half Republicans. But that changes over time. Michigan will not have this distinction maybe in five years, or Pennsylvania, and those, but because of the transient population that we have, and new congressional districts, stuff like that, those dynamics are going to change. So it's not something that would be a permanent fix. I'm, I'm uh, sort of a Paul on this. Um, the caliber of journalists, local journalists, in places like Iowa and uh, and New Hampshire, it's quite high because of these exercises yeah. that they go through every four years. And That's true. And yes. th- there's a great deal of engagement in some lousy little, uh, you know, county party that has a meeting with uh, 12 people uh, in some uh, library basement, the, the, a candidate sitting there, and it, those people know the issues, whereas I don't. I just think it will become all about advertising money and if, you, if you go to states that are on the large end. I, I, I think you'll get more Trumps, not... Not fewer Trumps if you try to say the big states are going to be the players here because then it'll be the wealthy who have the money and can pay for their own campaign to, to compete in some of these larger places. Yeah. So I'm concerned. Yeah. I, 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 that's the downside. I get the diversity piece. But look, you know, look at look at Biden. Biden was nowhere. And then uh, he got to he got to South Carolina. South and Carolina. They delivered, for, they delivered for him. So I don't think you can say that the system... It is stuck with who you know the candidate anointed by uh, Iowa or New Hampshire. I mean, there are plenty of New Hampshire and Iowa winners who didn't go on to get the nomination. Well, Governor, yeah, that's Gre- true. Governor Gretchen Whitmer would not say whether President Joe Biden should seek a second four-year term. In a Wednesday interview with NBC News, Biden's low approval ratings along with high inflation are seen as two of the most significant hurdles Whitmer faces as she seeks her own re-election this year. Asked whether Biden should run again in 2024, Whitmer said, you know, I'm not going to weigh in on whether he should run. Um... She added, if he does run, he'll have my support. Um, A lot of people are starting to talk about whether President Biden should run if he's going to end up running against Trump again in a rematch in 24. And both of them are around 80 years old. Should should there be a maximum age limit to qualify for running for, for president? I'm not sure I'd want to do it by law. I mean, it's up to yeah. the voters in the end, but I think that yes. it is a judgment that George voters ought to be dealing with at any age. Yeah. I mean, and I do, I do think that's going to be a major issue for, for, for Biden. He'll be almost 82 by that time. 
And, and yet, and on the Supreme Court, you have just the opposite standard. People can last as long as they will. Just then, that intended to stabilize the country when they put yeah. the uh, age uh, balances. Um, well, we're gonna the, <clears throat> we're gonna break here for uh, top of the hour ID, and when we come back, and uh, for part two of armchair politics, we're gonna uh, pull from. Uh, Paul's list of things that happened within the last 24 hours. <laughs> Long list. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get into some of that when we come back. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 